Are you secure in your cryptos? How do you know? The world is a crazy place full of hackers and ne'er-do-wells just looming in the dark shadows, trying to take your cryptos and take all your crypto treasures while trying to avoid jail. Sometimes the black hat hackers turn into good white hat hackers who help look for vulnerabilities in various systems and they get paid a bounty of treasure and they don't go to jail. Today, we talk to Mohsen Farid, a senior penetration specialist and founder of Ledger Ops, a blockchain cybersecurity service provider. We discuss all things cybersecurity, cyber polygon, the potential creation of Bitcoin by the NSA, and the latest threat to crypto users. You're going to want to stay tuned to this or else you'll get hacked. Episode number 584 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? Welcome, friends, to the episode number 584 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Hey, hey, what? Is what just happened your there? Your host Travis Wright. Wait a and, second. Uh, just, what? what time? What? Time out. Hey, how did? On, how did you take over the 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 teaser? And, well, like, I got my gray hat on. Did you hack me? <laughs> You've been hacked, bro. Don't hack me, bro. Told, told you not to upset Mosin. <laughs> Welcome to the show, kids. Glad you're here. That's Sir Lord Travis, the hacker, right? And I am Joel has not lost any Bitcoin yet. Calm. I say yet because mm. anything's possible. Anything is possible. Solo Joe Calm. Mm. We're glad you guys are here. This is a really great discussion with uh, Masan Farid we're going to have today. But first, 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 primarily before we start, Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. Store, manage, grow your portfolio, get NFT and multi-chain support and more. I use it. Travis uses it. Rufus uses it. Download the Brave privacy browser at brave.com forward slash bad crypto and click the wallet icon to get startified. You know what I like about it most, Trav? Besides okay. the fact that, you know, I don't see ads and, and all that it's not stuff. Google. It's, it's not Google. It's not freaking Google. So evil. I am I am slowly making the migration. It is it's hard to do. It really is. They get you in that ecosystem. But they guys, got those Google tentacles. I know. Google calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought first you said Google testicles. <laughs> they don't have That's any it. testicles over. They Google. don't have any of those. They are sackless. Speaking of which, I just got a text from my mom that said, bite me. Because uh, they're just having a huge-ass snowstorm. They got like 10 inches of snow. And I just sent the 10-day forecast for Puerto Rico. 84, 80, 80, 80, 80, 81, 82, 82, 82, 83. <laughs> what does it have to do with testicles? That's because oh, no, you said bite me. So or tentacles like, or any coals. I don't know. what. The- I don't know. I'm just kind of gloating because they got like 10 <laughs> inches of snow. And that's 10, 10 inches of snow. And uh, we're in Puerto Rico with no snow. Shall we uh, let let's I think it's proper to pay tribute and have a moment of silence for uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, We both went to Kansas City for the playoff game and man, did that end up sucking? (laughs) I say it was worse than that because so I took my daughter 
My daughter always wanted to go to Allen Fieldhouse where the Kansas Jayhawks play. And on Saturday, they were playing the Kentucky Wildcats. And so like, oh, damn, this will be great. So went to the Allen Fieldhouse, had a great time as the Kentucky Wildcats destroyed the Jayhawks by 20-something points. It was horrible. And so then the next day, uh, you and Aaron came over to my place and my son and I, and we drove, got some Jack Stack barbecue, which was delicious. It was yummy. And then we went and saw the game at Arrowhead up 21 to three and somehow lose the game. And uh, then I went home and I fixed the rest of that. Uh, I cooked up the meats and then I did not warm up my cheesy corn and or uh, or my beans. And I was talking to my sister is like, she's like, yeah, you didn't you didn't warm up that that cream cheesy corn. Oh, yeah, you got staff. And I had. I had food poisoning for 24 hours, man. Ugh. It was the worst. It was the worst weekend, like possible. Like <laughs> if you were like to lay it out and be like, "Oh man, let's have the best weekend." It was the opposite of that. Oh man, sorry about the the illness and the the double loss. Um, it, yeah, was it was brutal, man. And then I look at how much I paid for those tickets. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. I, it was my first game at Arrowhead, though, and and uh, Aaron made sure I was fully geared. We went to the uh, the rally house, and mm-hmm. I now have two Kansas City wearable. You look items. sharp, man. You look yeah. very chiefy. Every girl crazy about a sharp dress, Chiefs man. So sorry yeah. about your rock chalk. Well, seriously, Arrowhead was badass, though, wasn't it? It was great. It was it was loud too, and I've been in a lot of rock concerts, so I know loud, and that was loud. It was yeah, loud. man. You know what was so cool? Well, I thought it was the coolest thing. It, we lost. That sucked. That was not cool, but uh, Ashante was singing the national anthem uh-huh. and uh, her, her sound system went completely down, but you could hear the beginning of it. And so just the crowd, 80,000 people were just singing the national anthem super loud. And she came back in about, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds in it, but it was just a, a beautiful moment of everybody singing the national anthem, which was pretty cool. It was. We know the words. We've heard it before. Yeah. And there was a flyover and that was cool. Uh, anyway, thought we'd uh, let's have that moment of silence right now for the Chiefs. <laughs> there you go. There's the moment. And now I let's have the Super Bowl. I was going to the Super Bowl with my son. <laughs> You're not going. I'm not going to the Super Bowl. Anymore. You're not going because who cares about the Rams or the Bengals? I don't care. I don't care right? That, that one guy in Cincinnati is going, who day? Who day? Screw those bastards. <laughs> I hate that. Let's have a lot of moments with our guest today. You guys are going to want to listen to this whole thing because he brings up a new um, malware threat that is making all of us vulnerable to losing our crypto, even in your MetaMask. Listen in to Masan Farid. There are a few things worse than being a victim of a hack digital theft, whatever you want to call it, losing your cryptos, losing your NFTs, having your identity stolen. It all sucks and it sucks ass. But fortunately, there's people in the space that are experts in cybersecurity. And we met this gentleman in person and decided to invite him to the Bad Crypto Podcast. His name is Masan Farid. He is the co-founder of AlledgerOps.com. And uh, he's got quite a background in cybersecurity. We're going to talk all things security today. Masan, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the beautiful in- introduction. Was it beautiful? Was it, was it heartwarming? Was it lovely? Did it 
I, I, I got a little tingling sensation. You got a little tingles and your jingles. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> How about um, you fill us in here a little bit about your background? I know there's some things you can talk about and some things that you cannot. So tell us what you can't talk about. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, I, I initially got um, like most, most hackers, you know, I was a kid in uh, my mother's basement um, wanting to get free games, free video games. Um, and that kind of turned into, it bloomed into, you know, like a passion of mine that I didn't know existed at the time. I just wanted free video games and stuff like that. So I got into hacking and um, quickly I, I realized that I enjoyed, you know, hacking more than, you know, the free stuff, um, the, you know, the free video games. And, you know, at that time, um, hacking direct TV was, was a thing. So, um, you know, I, I quickly realized I, I actually really love doing this and I want to continue doing this. And um, so, you know, I, I got into the tech space, um, you know, quickly moved from different positions um, from system admin into cybersecurity. And I, you know, got my official um, role as a hacker working for the Department of Defense. Um, and I worked for different agencies um, in a consulting capacity for the Department of Defense. Um, and the, the objective is basically to, to break into the system um, in order to identify vulnerabilities um, and, and weaknesses of that system. Um, and in the world of you know, cyber, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you were to like, for example, break into a uh, Windows workstation, it, it's basically a massive domino effect from there. Uh, in, in an active directory environment, it's, it's dominoes. So, um, you know, it, it, I really loved it. I became obsessed with, it, with the work. Um, it wasn't even the money. Um, you can make way more money doing far less difficult things. It, it was just pure love and passion. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I can't really go into details what I did for the DOD. Um, and, you know, I also did some consulting for DHS, DOT, DOI. Um, you know, I've hacked everything you, you can imagine in different industries. Um, a lot of Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, lots of banks. Um, it's, been, it's been long enough for me to, to it's, it's been a while and the, the time has passed. Um, for me to actually discuss some of this stuff. So, um, you know, you're under an NDA and also um, the last thing you want is Uncle Sam to come kick your ass, right? So, um, you know, I've done stuff for the Federal Reserve Bank. I've done stuff for, you know, XYZ, I've done it all. Um, so I did that for roughly about a decade. Um, and then I pivoted from the, you know, traditional uh, server desktop environment um, into actually breaking into mobile applications. So roughly every 10 years or so, you have this massive, you know, tech that, that comes and changes the world. Um, and, you know, when we went from, you know, mainframe computers to, you know, um, our modern desktop uh, workstation environment with servers, and then the next big jump was um, mobile, right? And so mobile was a brand new thing. And I, you know, was, really fascinated about how to how to break into you know ios and android uh applications so i did that for a while as well um and you know this is all in consulting capacities you travel 
all around uh, the world and you get to just break into computers. It's so much fun. Um, and, you know, you also can do it remotely. So I did that for a bit. And then, um, you know, again, that that tech that comes out that changes the world um, for me was was absolutely blockchain tech technology. I, I was like absolutely blown away by it. Um, and like everyone else, I was introduced to, to, to Bitcoin um, roughly around 2015. But the person who you know told me about it didn't actually even understand it enough to, to give me a good explanation. So I really didn't think much of it. I just kind of brushed it off, um, unfortunately. But then around 2017, um, a good friend of mine, um, you know, he super technical guy, really, really smart guy, like one of the smartest people I know. Um, his name is Andrew Morris. He actually started Gray Noise. He um, he was, you know, where I was playing pool with him with, uh, you know, the co one of the co-founders of Ledger Ops, uh, Preston Thornburg. And, you know, Andrew goes down this rabbit hole about Bitcoin. And then he started talking about Ethereum. And believe it or not, I was actually far more excited by Ethereum because being a nerd, um, the, the concept of smart contracts to me was, was revolutionary. Um, at the time, and it blew my mind. And I thought, wow, like there's going to be so many use case scenarios for this. Um, so then, you know, I jumped in, went all in in the crypto, and I haven't looked back since then. So I've done a lot of security audits, or we've done a lot of security audits for different projects, um, you know, kind of marrying traditional cybersecurity along with what, you know, you're currently seeing in the, in the DeFi space, which, which is a, just an insane amount of ransom, uh, insane amount of a uh, you know, hacks that are happening all the time. So, you know, my homepage is rec.news. So that's, you know, that's basically uh, where I am today. Nice. I, I'm going to say some words. I didn't want to cut you off mostly because I don't want you to hack me. I want to be cool. With you. <laughs> Too uh, late, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. It's like your title, Senior Penetration Specialist, which like sounds like what I would use if, the, if I was in porn. That'd be my title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a great pickup line, you know. It is. How are you, baby? I was like, I'm a senior penetration specialist. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm senior because I'm a veteran. So I've been doing it a while. <laughs> what is um, a junior? That's. I mean, does that mean you've not done it all, or like you just, just started? The, you just you know, started. I don't. Yeah, barely yeah, past you, virgin level. You just ready. You, to you, you, a junior typically tends to pull out too late. So that's, yeah. <laughs> oh god ah, that was better than i thought i was going to that's really good i've been holding on to that joke for like five minutes because i was like am i gonna say some words during this podcast i don't know maybe i will uh, i promise that will be the longest rant uh in our, in our conversation uh, no, it's all and good, that's what she said bro. it's all okay. good so, so you said you know like you were working now when you were you know doing pen penetration at Fortune 500 companies, did they hire you to do that? Or were you all like rogue and just like, hey, hey, I'm going to see why I can get all up in your business? Oh, no, no. It's 100%. Um, you know, just, you know, there's the 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 days of me doing something um, that was illegal and, you know, wrong was basically when I was a teenager, when I was a little kid. I didn't know any better. In fact, back then, those laws didn't even exist. So I wasn't even doing anything illegal. It's just the laws didn't exist back then. Um, so it's, you know, everything we do, we have, you know, uh, lawyers, contracts are in place. There's, a, you know, rules of engagement 
you know, they, they tell you what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. They'll say, you know, hey, you could break into anything, but don't break into the following systems. Or even, you know, physical security is a big part of, of, of testing as well. We'll break into buildings, you know, we'll, we'll sneak in, we'll do use social engineering to trick people, uh, just capitalizing off the human element of hacking as well, which is, you know, more important than, than, the, than cyber itself, um, you know, because that's the easiest way. Typically, it's the easiest way. It's just to social engineer, just to trick someone. How, how does that work? Like, walk us through so people know what to look out for. You know, what are the common ways that people are social engineered? Well, in in the real world, like in the meat space, um, you know, let's say I'm hired to do a pen test for a organization. Um, what I'll do is I'll just go to the coffee shop across the street, for example. Um, I'll look for employees with their badges. I will, um, you know, you can actually clone uh, these badges if you get close enough. And what I'll typically do is I'll just go to the coffee shop and, you know, I'll chat up some of the folks there. I'll clone their badge um, and then I'll go home. And, you know, when I, when I clone, I'm basically cloning, you know, effectively the, I'm giving myself physical access to the building. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you could do where you're just, Simple things is um, starting up small talk with uh, the same people. You, you do that for three or four or five days uh, at the coffee shop um, every morning. People will start recognizing you. So before you know it, you know you've got people that will open doors for you. You you know just make some small talk. Oh, what floor are you on? Uh, okay, okay, yeah. You know, are you under so and so? If not, then they'll give you the names. And you know, before you do any of this, you're you're using you know, LinkedIn and any type of social media to gather information about an organization, you could, you know, effectively pull down an entire organizational chart um, just using social media. Um, so, you know, we're li living in, in a time where people are just giving up excessive, excessive amount of information about themselves. And ultimately, this could be leveraged uh, by a malicious actor to be used against you. Um, so, you know, that's the human element of it. Also, you know, there's your, your typical phishing attacks where you can send malicious uh, emails with uh, links that if they click on the link, then you can compromise the browser or steal their credentials. You clone a, a, you know, a site that looks exactly like the, the, the company site and you could just do like make a slight modification in the, in the domain name in the URL. Um, and, you know, it works pretty much all the time. That's wild. Now, how much of this is, you know, sort of international where you're like, you know, it's almost like it seems like, you know, there's the international aspect of it where you're kind of, you know, where it's almost military, where you're going after, you know, uh, rogue states or how much of that is where it's almost like you guys are going after companies and stuff domestically, because it almost seems like there's more stuff going on domestically than there is internationally. And it's almost like your guys' skill set's so valuable that it would almost be better going after rogue states than it is to going after domestic organizations. Yeah, so it's, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, there, and, and this varies by countries, by, by different countries, right? So for example, China actually has a lot of their, of their, uh, of their you know, Offensive cybersecurity um, is being done. It's state. It's backed by the state. It's a nation state that is training soldiers how to hack. Um, they have basically a massive 
massive, massive army um, of, of hackers that are working around the clock. They have massive facilities. It's, you know, their objective is to just break into anything and everything you can. Um, and this includes, you know, everything from, you know, water facilities, gas, electric. Um, they're breaking into um, U.S. federal uh, defense contractors. So you're getting your North of Grumman and your Booz Allen and all these guys that are building next generation weapons, their systems are getting compromised and they're effectively um, stealing blueprints for next generation weapons. Um, so this is actually, you know, this, this isn't anything new. It's been going on for a long time and you have uh, a plethora of different nations that are basically constantly breaking into each other's systems. Even allies are, are breaking into ally systems. Um, and, you know, there's this unseen war that's happening and, you know, not, not too many people are talking about, it, but it, it, it is happening. You know, during the, um, the 2016 elections, we heard so much that, you know, there was all the Russians were doing all kinds of disinformation and hacking the election and blah, blah, blah. What, you know, to, from your perspective and being in the quote unquote industry, what impact did foreign interests actually have in 2016 and perhaps in 2020 in the U.S. elections? Um, so, you know, unfortunately, at, at this point, I don't work in in the intelligence space. I can only just give you like, yeah, just your personal your personal opinion. opinion. That's all. Look, I, you know, yeah. we don't want any three letter agencies knocking on anybody's door. No, you definitely don't. <laughs> Unless it's CBS and they want to interview me because I'm just, my voice is so dulcet. And they're like, how did you get such a dulcet voice? And I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think you, you have a, a lot of potentials working as a phone sex operator. You know, I think it's something <laughs> definitely in your future. <laughs> you can be a, you can be a senior penetration specialist. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Hello, my, Call my 1-900-JOE-COM. My name is Joel, and I'm your senior penetration specialist. How can I help you today? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. And just remember, when the eyes roll back, pull back. <laughs> wow. So, uh, this one went off the cliff early and then just finds another cliff to go off of. That's good. I apologize <laughs> for that. that was okay, bad. let's see if we can get an answer to the question. So um, PSYOPs is, is definitely something... It's not anything new. It's it's been going on for years. Um, for I, you know, as as far as I know, we use psyops um, again. You know, when we're in we're in the Vietnam War. Maybe um, go ahead and define that for those. That, well, what's a psyop? So psyops is basically it, it's a form of basically think of it as like you know getting into the minds of the people um to basically sway them in one direction or another you're basically using you know different tactics and techniques to influence people you mean basically um, what google and facebook and twitter and all the silicon valley companies do every day regularly and people have no idea is that i was talking about foreign intervention <laughs> yeah i mean you can make the argument that are that there's massive psyop campaigns being run by our our own media you know that that's clearly you know if you switch between fox and cbs or or whatever 
they're reporting the same thing, but they have two completely different, um, you know, perspectives on on that same event. So there's a huge, I mean, there's a huge disconnect in in you know what's happening in the world as opposed to what we're being told is happening. And I think people, you know, really more than ever need to really start vetting the sources of information that that they're getting, and and really, you know. It's, it's it's unfortunate that you know we're trying to take something extremely like a, a very complicated event and you're trying to have a debate over it uh over you know 160 characters you know what i mean and not everything in the world is black or white there's you know the majority of the world operates in gray but no one tends to kind of really take that into consideration so it's it's unfortunate but you know there is definitely a massive uh you know, influence and, and Russia has always been very powerful with with their psyops. You know, they they, you know, would go as far as you know in fifties and sixties they would basically take um, agents, um, beautiful women, and they would basically implant them to make a you know to accidentally meet like a high ranking government official, and they would actually go as far as you know. Um, dating them, marrying them, having kids with them. You know, we, oh, kind of like is, China's doing now with some of our senators and congressmen. <laughs> like yeah, Eric absolutely. Swalwell or whatever, Swal, whatever that dude's name is, literally dating somebody who's a Chinese spy and he didn't get in trouble at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's mad. It's, it's a mad world. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to scare people. I'm not here to like scare people, but really just kind of start asking yourself like some, you know, whatever kind of information that comes across, you know, you across you and you're, you're triggered by it. Ask yourself, like, really, like, what, what is the intent of this? What, how much legitimacy is there? Um, what's the, you, you know, you really need to start vetting the information that's coming across your, your life. I think that's one thing that Russia had said back in the day, the Soviet Union back in the 60s was, if you inundate a populace with fear, messages of fear over and over again, then after like about a month and a half or two months of it, it's nearly impossible to change their opinion because they've been so ingrained with that fear that it's impossible for them to see something different than what it is. So that kind of propaganda and indoctrination really works. I want to ask you, I want to ask you about this because this is something that was that you, you have some insights in. And so I want to maybe talk about the parallels between that. Because on October 18th, 2019, John Hopkins with the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates uh, Foundation, they hosted this event called Event 201. And it was all about this. It was a pan, high-level pandemic exercise that basically talked about what the public and private you know, businesses and partnerships should do during a severe pandemic that happened a couple months afterwards. And earlier in, well, a little bit ago, I don't know, three, four months ago in uh, the World Economic Forum had another event called Cyber Polygon, which was talking about, you know, all the trends and risks and, and different things that could happen if the, you know, the economy crashes and all this, you know, all these things happen. Like, what kind of parallels are there? Because it almost seems like whenever these one of these kind of exercises around certain things, it that seems to be a self-fulfilling prophecy and crazy stuff happens. So like, 
Are we really close to some crazy cybersecurity things happening to kind of disrupt the global economy? So that's a great question. The and and you actually make a really good point that you know you could make the argument that they were planting a seed, right? Mm-hmm. That they're they're planting a seed. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because this way, you know, you're putting it on someone's radar. Um, and it's a it's a very well-known technique. And then you can gradually kind of again bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And then when that crazy unforeseen event happens, people, you know, aren't going to be a shock um, when that, when it, when it does occur. Now, do I think there's going to be um, a crazy event? Um, I honestly, there's, if, if you're keeping up with what's happening right now, um, it, it's already like in, insane. You have, you know, again, I'm going to just discuss what's publicly known. You have, you know, instances where you have, you know, the U.S. or other um, allies that are that are hacking into, um, you know, NATO. They're hacking into what what we are supposed to be viewing them as allies. There is no trust amongst the allies. So you have, you know, countries that are friendly that are all hacking each other as well. And it can get very, very dicey and, and tricky to, to try to track something like that down. This is like, you know, concealing your identity on the internet. Um, everyone knows about that, right? So you can actually, you know, make an attack look like it came from uh, a, an, another country, right? Um, and, you know, there's definitely, there's a lot of forensics uh, techniques that are in place where you can, you know, use to track down the real attackers but there's 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 a lot of countries that have what what are called atp groups um apt groups which are advanced persistent threats right these are either official government hackers or like like i'm doing you know air quote mercenary like for hire type attackers that are being uh, hired by different countries now these attackers are also going after journalists, um, people that are, you know, of high ranking, you know, or, or people of interest. For example, you've got, uh, you know, there's been several instances where you had a journalist who spoke poorly of the Saudi government. And the next thing you know, um, you know, his, that journalist's phone's uh, broken into and they identify his location. And the next thing you know, that guy's, completely off the map. Um, So it's becoming a lot more dangerous. People are becoming a lot more uh, aggressive now. You know, you've got Jeff Bezos, whose phone was broken into via WhatsApp, right? And they exfiltrated, you know, tons and tons of information from from him. So there's there's a lot of different angles that that are in play, but the the future of warfare is going to be cyber. It is cyber. It's not going to, you know, you're going to still have your, your, um, you know, your, your traditional warfare, but you can cause way more damage just using cyber than, than traditional weapons. And I don't know if you want me to elaborate on that or not. No, um, no, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, nobody wants to drop nukes, right? That just, you know, it's, it's much easier to accomplish your goals when you can shut down the power grid or steal millions of dollars or billions, you know, from, 
from an account or whatever. Um, I'm wondering, you know, from a blockchain perspective, do you think that uh, blockchain helps to solve, you know, these problems of cyber warfare or hurts or maybe a more broader approach would be what are the pluses and minuses of how blockchain would play a role in uh, cybersecurity? It's a, it's a fairly loaded question. So I think, for example, the, you know, I am a senior penetration specialist, so I always am fully loaded. Just wanted to say. <laughs> you can't shoot blanks, you know. <laughs> um, so, so for example, let's look at uh, Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin brings in, you know, the, your transparency, your confidentiality. Um, well, you, if you, if you choose to have confidentiality in it, but it, it brings back integrity into money, right? Money, which has been, you know, and once we got off the gold standard, we effectively just went down downwards, right? We just went, it was a spir downward spiral of, you know, of the lack of integrity in money, right? It's historically shown over and over again that, you know, if you're, if, if, if a country doesn't have faith in its own uh, currency, then, you know, you, you can take a look at Venezuela, you can look at Turkey, you can look at all these different countries, Argentina, that, that are just going through madness with inflation. Uh, you can look at Iran and the kind of impact that that has on its people. So I think for a use case scenario of something like money, um, you know, I think Bitcoin... Bitcoin is, is to me, is, like, uh, is a massive Trojan horse. You know, like you, most people will get in um, coming in for, you know, yeah, I want to get rich and this and that. And, and you know, most people will, after a couple of years of, you know, investing and holding in Bitcoin, they start kind of understanding that, wow, there's way more to Bitcoin than just the, 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 the financial gains. It, it, it's it's a it's a vote of confidence and bringing back integrity into something like money. You know, in in your personal opinion, um, is Bitcoin a Trojan horse? Many people say that you know the, a three-letter agency actually created the white paper and is Satoshi Nakamoto. I've heard those rumors. Um, I think so. I don't know if it would it would be any of our guys that did that um, because we are you know the dollar is the, is the world standard right it's it's the it's the it's the standard of um, where everyone you know uses the dollar for trade and that makes you know if you were to take away that uh, from the U.S. we're effectively losing a lot of power. Um, if the if the world stops using the dollar as a reserve as the reserve currency, then we're going to have, you know, we, we can't flex like we currently flex, right? We're you know right now we're 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 looking to you know kick Russia out of SWIFT, right? Um, and we can't we won't be able to pull something like that off if the, no one uses the dollar if the world stops using the dollar. We do not want you to kick us from the SWIFT. We prefer that things move very closely with this SWIFTiness. <laughs> Travis, where is your Russian accent when you need it? 
Uh, very, I left very... it somewhere behind. I don't want to be confused as hacker. <laughs> <laughs> yet. I don't have Russian accent. Not I have no me. intern yet. I have no intern yet right now. <laughs> it does not work. No, so so check this out. I mean, there is there was a document from 1996 called by the NSA called How to Make a Mint, the Cryptography of Anonymous Electronic Cash. And then when you dive down and you look at some of the other different elements you know about this, the Bitcoin's hashing algorithm, SHA-256, they invented that in 2001. The NSA created that. And that's, that's what's the essential part of Bitcoin's architecture. So that makes you go, hmm. And then, you know, there's some leaked documents from Snowden that make you go, hmm. And then Satoshi Nakamoto just disappeared randomly. That was kind of weird. And then, you know, the FBI has one of the largest Bitcoin wallets. And so, you know, it's like, it's just one of these weird, it's just a lot of weird things that just kind of go on. And you're like, wow, those are some peculiar things that if you're a, if you're a critical thinker, and then you also see the, the economist, you know, uh, uh, cover that came out in like 1980. Nine or two, uh, 1991 or whatever it was like 30 years ago and it was and it basically showed a bitcoin on there and you're like you know when you know that who owns who owns the economist and i just start putting dots together like that dude on the wall connecting lines and i'm like it sure looks like there's something fucky going on potentially with all this but then you ask the smartest people and they're like oh no there's no way there's no way and i'm like that's exactly what would seem to be the case is everybody would say no way because they don't want to believe that it's a deep state operation. It, it's I've definitely run across that that theory before, and I think it's interesting. Um, and I could see why it could be leveraged. Why, why like a an intelligence uh, agency could put something like that together? Now, SHA two fifty six is it's the standard, right? It everyone uses it. So that's, you know, if SHA-256 is broken, we have bigger problems on our hands than, than you know, Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, and just to kind of debunk a little bit, um, why I don't think it's a, a, an a agency? Um, well, for starters, uh, are you familiar with the Shadow Brokers hack? No, uh, tell us more. Not, not, not too so, deeply, no. So it's it's a it's a bit of a, a long story. So I'll just kind of TLDR it for you. There was you know a leak um, where a whole bunch of NSA tools were were leaked online, right? Is um, that when Snowden was doing his deal? This was in 2016. So this was post Snowden. Okay. Um, no, I, I am familiar with that. I remember going through a lot of that and seeing all, a lot of those NSA tools and. And different intelligence things they were using, which was like almost like validation for a whole bunch of things. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was actually one of the biggest deals that I feel like was kind of swept under the rug. I felt like it didn't get the attention that it deserved because number one, these are weapons, right? These are weapons that can break into any computer in the world, right? Like the weapons that they released, no one else had that sophistication, right? And it's not easy to build these tools anymore. Like, there's a, a great deal amount of research that goes into exploit development um, a lot of time. And that's one side of it, right? So we lost a bunch and bunch and bunch of valuable tools that are used to breaking the systems. And we gave that sophistication 
to the rest of the world for anyone to, to use, right? So they learned a bunch of cool new techniques. Um, they learned, you know, that, you know, just because they have those tools, now they can see if they were actually compromised, right? So now you have the whole world going on this hunt to see if the NSA ever broke into their systems because there's, you know, with, with any hack, there's indicators of compromise, right? They're called IOCs. So we basically, you know, when we lost the, those tools, it basically, number one, we gave the whole world a bunch of our degree, like a bunch of capabilities, a bunch of, you know, sophistication, a bunch of foo, right? But number two, we also said, hey, here are the breadcrumbs to find out if we ever broke into your system, um, you know, and, and it was pretty much pandemonium from at that point. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really big deal. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, you, with those tools, you know, you reverse engineer those tools, you're going to see, you know, again, if you ever see code that's been written by um, anyone that works in, you know, for any of those three letter agencies, um, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's literally, you know, it's art. And the Bitcoin, when Bitcoin came out, it was kind of like Frankenstein, you know, it was kind of like, let me grab a little bit of this. Let me grab a little bit of that, you know, and it was kind of just whipped up together and, you know, it wasn't, it doesn't have those indicators of like brilliant, clean, beautiful code. Um, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever, you know, they may be either, you know, was such a genius that he was like, you know what, uh, or I'll just write my code like a, like an amateur, or it was really just someone uh, or a group of people that took a lot of pre-existing code uh, and tools and just kind of whipped it up together. And I want to, let me ask about this then. Because, you know, what we're seeing is with China banning Bitcoin and crypto, now India is now going through the process of banning because they're creating their own central bank digital currency. Could it almost be that it was a Trojan horse to get people comfortable? You know, it's like, hey, have a generation of people, 12, 15 years of, of dealing with all these virtual currencies, and then they start releasing their own central bank digital currency and then they, they shut off the connection of crypto to the traditional banking system so people can't get their, their money off offline. And it seems like that's what's happened in China. That's what's happened in India and then even some other countries. And so those are some of the biggest, you know, with most populated people in the world. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of freaks some people out. Yeah. So the thing with CBDCs is that it ultimately it gives complete control. For example, China, right? They know everything you're doing with your money. And they also have the ability to confiscate it without, you know, like just making it extremely simple. So, and just to take it to another level, right? Let's say you got a, a parking ticket, right? Now you don't even have to make the payment. They'll make the payment for you. Do you see where, I, where, where I'm going with this? It's, it's basically taking away that autonomy from, from people. Um, I think, I think to me, CBDCs are a nightmare, um, especially when it's coming from, you know, when, when it's a, when it's a government that can't be trusted. There are so many rabbit holes. 
to go down yeah. here on this topic. We might have to have you back here to revisit this uh, in the future. Uh, I want you to go ahead and, and pimp yourself a little bit, though. Your company, your co-founder of LedgerOps.com. What do you guys do? Well, thank you. Um, and I would I would be happy to come back. Um, you know, I love your uh, podcast, and I'm really happy to be able to contribute and hopefully. Uh, people, you know, find this interesting and there's some value that's being, um, you know, picked up by the, by the audience from this exchange. So yeah, by um, the next, uh, when you come back, we will be mega super um, uh, penetration analysts or whatever it is here. <laughs> uh, you know, well, you know, I live in Puerto Rico. So if you guys ever want to boot camp, uh, I'm, I'm there for you guys. Nice. Uh, so the, the, LedgerOps focuses on, you know, basically breaking into um, anything from a corporate, you know, system, system, corporate systems from, you know, whether you have servers or, or workstations, we basically can go from breaking into your website and, and from breaking into your website, we can trickle down into your network and start going after your intellectual property. Or if you're a bank, you want to uh, go after, you know, account numbers, things like that. Um, we also have sophistication in breaking into uh, mobile applications um, to ultimately do the same thing. And on top of that, last but not least, we, um, you know, we're here to help crypto projects secure their, their code um, and to, to start releasing, you know, to audit their, their, their projects, to, you know, go through their source code and find holes. But also on top of that, more than anything is to combine, you know, source code reviews with you know, your traditional um, cyber. So, you know, I've seen instances where you've got teams that will hard code their, their, their keys into, you know, into their source code and, you know, they've got it posted up on GitHub. So effectively I could just go to GitHub and pull their key and now I have complete access to whatever they have access to. Um, you know, so combining, traditional um, cybersecurity with, um, you know, what we're doing in, in, the, in the space right now to secure, um, you know, different crypto projects. Love it. You know what? I mean, it's, it, going through and doing analysis on on the code is very important for for people to make sure that they're, you know, it's not not hackable. So, you know, you guys, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of, a lot of stuff over there. How long, how long have you guys been uh, been around? How long have you been working on this stuff? So for the, you know, hacking, um, like actual DeFi projects, we started doing in 2018. Um, you know, the, the use case scenario really started popping up in 2018. 2017, um, we were doing more about, you know, we're looking after an organization's infrastructure, um, making sure that let's say they have like a, a master node um, ecosystem, we would make, make sure that, they, that that's properly hardened. Um, but now, you know, since 2018, we've been doing a lot of, a lot of, uh, different audits. So, so let me ask you this and, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this, like, wow, this is interesting and all, but like, how does this apply to me? So people who are listening to us are crypto users. Are there any new threats or anything that, you know, people who are into crypto need to know about right now? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a really, um, interesting malware that was discovered a couple of days ago. Um, it's called the Mars Stealer. Um, and it's pretty interesting because the malware itself is roughly 95 kilobytes. It's very, very tiny. Um, it's written in 
C and assembly. So it's, you know, really lean and mean code. It has the ability to basically hook into pretty much any browser that you can think of. Um, it can hijack, um, you know, passwords, your, your keys, um, you know, so even your multi-factor, like if you're using 2FA, it can, it can steal that. It can jack it from, you know, there's over like 50 what? different wallets. Yeah. Dif 50 different Anybody wallets that, that it can get into. MetaMask information? Absolutely. Oh my Absolutely. How do you, how do you get this? Um, so right now the, the attackers using, you know, they're, they're, they're injecting it into different, you know, torrent sites and different, you know, download sites for different applications. Um, but the attack vector could be used, you know, if this person, let's say, goes to coin uh, market cap and, and, and breaks into coin market cap, any user who visits coin market cap and has a vulnerable browser can effectively download and run this malware. Um, and this malware is designed specifically only to steal crypto. It works on, you know, 50 or so different wallets, um, any browser you can think of. And it's pretty sophisticated. So one of the things, it has a lot of different obfuscation techniques um, to, to make it you know, undetectable. But I found it very interesting that when you run this, uh, when this malware is executed, it checks to see you know, what language your operating system is running, like what language your Windows is running on. Then it checks to see if you're located in Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, all the stans, right? Um, and basically, I think it's a five countries: Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, um, Azerbaijan, and you know a few other um, you know Russia-friendly countries. And if it detects that it's your system is you know operating in any of those countries, it immediately just turns off. It's gone. So, how do you protect yourself? Like what? what do we do to not get this? Um, so it's, it's just like your typical, you know, I could tell you uh, antivirus, firewall, intrusion detection system, um, you know, all that stuff is great, but it's very easy to circumvent, you know, your standard security products. And I know this isn't the answer you're looking for, but the best thing is common sense. Like, honestly, like if you want, to be protected online, then on top of having those, those products, educate yourself, have common sense, don't download illegal shit, um, you know, don't go to like some random porn site, um, you know, stuff like that, because these are all different attack vectors that can be leveraged to compromise your system. So it's probably a good idea to have all your crypto stuff on one computer that you only do for crypto stuff and don't do any other stuff on it. Yeah, it's, um, it, it doesn't hurt. Um, it definitely doesn't hurt. Now, there is, you know, just keep in mind that if I, let's say I break into a computer that you do no, nothing crypto related on there, right? But that computer is connected on the same wireless network as your crypto computer. For me to go from, you know, your computer to that other computer is it's elementary. So right. that is also. Yeah. So is a, a, a VPN. No patch for this yet. I'm sorry. There's no patch. Um, there at the moment, there's different 
vendors that are starting to push out signatures that detect the, the, the virus, the malware. But again, that only takes a few minutes to circumvent for, for the author of the, of the tool. And honestly, I, I, I can say with pretty good confidence that this is actually um, a nation state attacker, uh, just for the simple fact that the malware will automatically turn off if it's located in any of the those uh, foreign, like the friendly com- countries. Oh, so VPN so, through uh, through Russia then is what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, please don't do that. Uh, please don't do that. And 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 it, even if you were connected to a VPN in Russia, you would still be. It would still compromise your system because it would detect that your your operating system language uh, is you know your keyboards in English. So but would not would not VPN through Russia. Yeah, and since you work for Ledger Ops, it's probably a good idea to put your crypto on a ledger or a trezor or something and keep it off your computer. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the move. Um, always use a hardware wallet. You know, store your safety, uh, your your seed phrase somewhere safe. Um, you know, wherever that is to you. But don't ever put that on your computer. Like you're just asking for it. What? Uh- what is so difficult is that, you know, a lot of people get a ledger or a trezor after they've bought a bunch of NFTs. Like I can't send all my NFTs from my MetaMask. It costs a fortune just to move them over. Yeah. You know, if you're using layer two, you know, if you're using L2s, then it'll be much cheaper, but, um, but it's not on Ethereum. It's just, it's just not. Yeah. I, and I'm a big fan of Ethereum, but right now, you know, Solana and and Terra and you know, near protocols making an avalanche, they're all just basically chopping into the market share of Ethereum. Um, you know, Matic is is definitely helping as an L2, and you've got you know uh ZK rollups and and optimism and you know arbitrum, all these are coming in, but it's you know. Slowly but surely, it's it's working. Awesome. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on, uh, Masan Farid. LedgerOps.com is the site. We'll have links to his LinkedIn in the show notes for this episode. And uh, we appreciate you coming on today, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Yeah, please don't hack us, bro. <laughs> totally cool. I won't. I promise. You have my word. We like you, man. We think you're a great guy, man. We got nothing bad to say about you at all, bro. Ever. <laughs> Don't penetrate. Don't penetrate us at all. I will not. You have my word. I promise. I bet everybody's now looking up, you know, making sure that their uh, antivirus and anti-malware software is up to date and locking down their browsers and moving stuff to their ledger or their Trezor. Yeah. Well, if not, you well, they just heard it, so they probably haven't done it yet, but they might want to get on it. Some guy, some guy's speeding to get home right now because we just scared him. Masan scared him, and now it's like, oh, damn. You don't want to be penetrated. <laughs> Not by a senior penetration <laughs> specialist. Anyway. That was hilarious. I just kept <laughs> laughing. I was like, come on, he's a senior penetration specialist. I got to say something. That was funny. <laughs> I just took it off the rails. That's what I do. That's my role. That's, we have no rails here. This train has no breaks and no rails. We go wherever we want to go. And uh, our next episode, you're going to love as well, because uh, we had an opportunity to visit with Erica Gemma, who is a brilliant young lady. Uh, She was actually the moderator 
on the um, the fireside chat at the North the American brilliant Bitcoin Conference. fireside chat we did in Miami that you guys brilliant. you just heard that on the last episode uh, so mm-hmm. she's coming up next but want to encourage you to subscribe review and share this podcast with others and of course we always like to hear from you the bad crypto hotline is open 24 7 our version of Siri I think her name is Esmeralda is always there for you 708-885-9030 708-885-9030 it's like instead of saying hey Siri or hey Google you say hey Esmeralda because that just rolls off the tongue I would say this is going to be one you want to you definitely want to share with your friends um, especially if they're in crypto and maybe they haven't heard bad crypto before, or maybe they used to hear us and they hated us because we said political things that hurt their feelings. But this is one that goes beyond that people should hear because the world is crazy. And here's a dude who's talking about it from the inside and letting people know what's going on and how you need to protect yourself. So this is something, this is an important one, I think. Chicka chicka mow mow, senior penetration specialist. <laughs> We'll catch you guys next time around. Until then, slow down. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.